You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Studio 89.7. This talk program focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. And now, here's your host, Philadelphia radio veteran, Paul Perello. Well, my next guest is no stranger to the Philadelphia Aries. Uh, Matthew Quick, also known as Q, is the uh, New York Times bestselling author of several novels, including The Silver Linings Playbook, which was, of course, made into an Oscar-winning film. Matt uh, joins us here in the studio to talk about his new book, Love May Fail. And uh, Matthew, it's uh, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. In, in looking at your career, just over the past few years and the number of works, the number of books that you've had out there, it's hard not to do the interview without talking about Silver Linings Playbook. That really focused a lot of attention on your book. The movie focused a lot of attention on your book and on you. You went to the Academy Awards. I mean, what was that experience like? I mean, how many times do you still pinch yourself on a daily basis, uh, given all the, uh, all the attention that the book and the movie got? Uh, you know, still you pinch yourself. It was it was absolutely surreal. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you always dream about happening, and then when it happens, uh, you get caught up in the media blitz, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't really get a chance to process it when you're going through through all of that. And uh, you know, so being at the Oscars was it's a wonderful experience, but it's also it's also work. You know, because <laughs> you're you're working and you're talking to new people and you're making connections. And um, I, I did. I did a deal for Forgive Me Leonard Peacock with the Weinstein Company at the Oscar party. Really? You know, was, they, people were saying, what do you have? You have to pitch. You're on. You know, so it's it's glamorous, but it's also uh, you quickly see that everybody there uh, is there to work. Mm. You know, Bradley Cooper, I've never seen somebody work so hard. You know, he's working that room. You know, he's not partying. He's he's working and he, he's a class act. So all the glitz and glamour that we see of the after parties really uh, is not... Uh, you know, while it's glitzy and it's glamorous, but as you said, everybody's there at work. You know, I have agents. Uh, he has people. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of people that go in between for both of us, and it's nice to have that, that buffer. But getting back to the Oscars, um, you know, when we left the Oscars, you walk the red carpet in reverse, and everybody has to wait for a limo, and everyone there is A-list, so it takes a long time to get all of these people in limos. And it's funny, with the cameras off, all of these A-list celebrities, they, they're not talking, heads are down, they look exhausted. Really? And then as soon as the cameras are on, everyone perks up, and the cameras are off, everyone just kind of wilts like a flower. And <laughs> uh, you don't realize how hard these people are working um, at being famous, I guess. But yeah. it's, it, really is, it really is interesting to see behind the scenes. It's not, it's not what, you th- what you think it would be. So, so no deal was, uh, was etched out on the back of a cocktail napkin then at this party uh, for, your, for, your, for your next project, right? <laughs> no, I mean, they, they were talking talking about about uh, my future things and then basically what happens is said well have your agent get in touch send it over and then you know and then you 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 go back and forth after that but you know it begins with a conversation you know I remember um, talking to Harvey in New York for the first time about Leonard Peacock and then at the Oscar party some of his people came up and said you know I really like this I read this and you know I was expecting just to go and have drinks and have fun but you know it's always work to be done yeah and yet uh, given the success of uh, the book and the movie um, that needless to say uh, opens many doors for you but it also I guess puts a lot of pressure on you now Matt because 
everybody knows what you're capable of, what you can do. And so, I mean, do you feel that pressure to try to compartmentalize that and keep it, you know, at bay? Because the last thing you want to do is, I mean, I think we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we're working on a project. But the last thing you want is that added pressure on you that, God, I got to I got to write something that's going to be better than or do you just ignore it and just work on whatever it is that you're, you're dealing with at the time? I try when I'm alone in my room writing to to ignore that. Um, and I think I can. When I sit down, I get lost in the fiction. When I get lost in my character's head, um, I can turn that off. Mm-hmm. But when you go to New York and L.A., um, you're always balancing um, your career, you know. Right. And, and my agents, they talk about a Matthew Quick book, a Matthew Quick story, and you quickly become a brand. And you want to nurture that brand and you want to keep going um, but it's very different than when you're writing in a vacuum and nobody knows who you are and I always tell young writers and naivety is a gift mm-hmm. um, and you can never write your debut a second time like mm-hmm. once you publish and you cross that line you are a different person you know you've been you, you've seen what's behind the curtain in Oz you know and yeah and uh, that's both good and bad you know sure. it's a different struggle but yet it seems to me, and everything that I've read, and even in just uh, starting this uh, this book, which we'll get into, I promise, Love May Fail, we'll get into the book here in a little bit, but it seems to me that the, I guess, this, uh, that you've, you remain grounded in uh, who you are, where you came from, and where you're going. Oftentimes, you know, rubbing elbows with the, uh, you know, the glamorous at an Oscar party, uh, I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but it can, I'll use the word corrupt, uh, or change you. You talk a little bit about that change, but you know, sometimes uh, it's uh, it's changed for all the wrong reasons, yet you still seem grounded. And even in going back to your roots in your book, I mean, you seem grounded and nothing, <laughs> I'm sure things have changed, but things may not may have not changed all that much inside your head or inside you. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to do what I do, you know, and um uh, I think one of the things that helps me stay grounded is that I set my books in Philly and in South Jersey and um, particularly Love May Fail is, is set in pretty much working class neighborhoods mm-hmm. in South Jersey. And uh, that's where I'm from. You know, I yeah. know I know who I am, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm not from L.A. I'm not mm-hmm. from New York. You know, I grew up in Philly and South Jersey. And, uh, you know, I, I just try to tell stories that are authentic to me. And, you know, I'm I'm, I'm really grateful that people in Hollywood seem to like these stories. Sure. Um, but. I, I never forget where I came from, and you always realize that that could go away at any time. So um, what you have is who you are, and you try to hold on to that. And I think that's what makes the art authentic. It, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's what allows me to write a quote-unquote Matthew Quick book. And if yeah. I ever stop doing that, um, I bet everything will fall apart. So Yeah. And, and I think one of, the, one of the, the good things about books like yours and movies that are set in, in towns like Philly or South Jersey or you know, on the East Coast as opposed to a Hollywood soundstage is that you get the real feel and the vibe for that area. And you talk about growing up uh, in in South Jersey. Uh, This book, just like Silver Linings Playbook, set in the greater Philadelphia area in South Jersey, uh, your hometown. And maybe, you know, maybe that's what uh, attracts the eye of Hollywood because it's it's different from a lot of the things that are being pitched in Hollywood these days where they don't have the, uh, I mean, we go back to the Rocky movie here. I mean, I think the thing that put Philly on the map wasn't the Liberty Bell, with all due respect, but it was Rocky Balboa that sort of focused all this attention then on the art museum. And although the folks at the art museum would probably cringe at hearing me say (laughs) that it's not the art inside the building, but the steps, 
that bring people to the art museum. I think that's what Hollywood looks for that type of uh, story every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we all go to movies to to believe that we can be something better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that you know, as as a kid growing up in Oakland, I used to go to the movies with my dad and. Uh, I would see him root for characters and, and, and be transforming it. I would see the effect that it had on my father. And I realized that that's really what, what stories are. My, my dad always says he doesn't ever want to see a, a sad movie because mm -hmm. his life is, is hard enough. Sure. You know, he wants to be inspired. And, and so I think, you know, the Rocky story is classic. It's, um, you know, just your average underdog, you know, trying to do something great. And I think my characters are underdogs in a lot of ways as well. And um, they're just trying to, to, to do these simple things that are great in their mind. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's my story, too. You know, I, I, I came from a place where nobody thought any of the people there were going to ever end up on the New York Times bestseller list. Right. And I said, you know, I'm this, I'm just this regular guy, but I want to try to do something great. And so I think my story is, is an underdog story as well. A uh, 400 page book. How long does that take you to write? Uh, you know, uh, love may fail, which is now available in bookstores, 400 pages. I mean, look, you know, authors have different um, writing styles and, you know, also, you know, living with your wife, who's also an author. I, I wonder who's vying for the computer. Although in, in this day and age, everybody probably has their own laptop. But how long does it take you to come up with a 400-page manuscript? I wrote Love May Fail in about six months, okay. which, is, which is crazy fast. And I have uh, a bit of an obsessive personality. So once I lock on to an idea, I just don't stop. Like, mm -hmm. I just clear my schedule and go, go, go. I'm not sure that that's the healthiest way to write, um, but it's uh, that's just who I am, and yeah. um, I tend to write fast and furious. And one of my one of my philosophies is to outwork the competition. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, maybe that comes from my grandfather growing up poor in Philly. Uh, you know, I only have so much talent, but I can work harder than other people. And uh, I quote Charles Bukowski, who always said, "The fear is a great motivator." You know, mm -hmm. and I think when you grow up. And you think you never can do something, and then you finally can do it. You, you know, I feel a tremendous amount of, I don't want to use the word pressure, but, you know, you want to keep it going and you want to take it seriously. So I, I tend to, to, to write very quickly, mm -hmm. um, but I also spend a lot of, a lot of time on it. Uh, you know, I'll spend like 12 hours a day writing. So. Wow. Love May Fail uh, by Matthew Quick. Of course, we know uh, Matt for his work, Silver Linings Playbook, and he's written many other books uh, as well, especially tapping into that, uh, I, I don't want to say tween um, genre, but I mean, for young adults, you've... Yeah, young adults is what most people call it. Okay. Um, teen protagonists. Right. Um, this book is set in your hometown, Oakland, Camden County, New Jersey, correct? Yeah, it's, it's set around there, Haddon Township, Oakland, okay. Collingswood, mm -hmm. um, and it's, there's other scenes in Vermont and Florida as well. But uh, Some of the characters in the book, uh, I'm sure you've had a lot to draw on, uh, given uh, some of the characters that you have met along the way. Um, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, given the, um, you know, some of the characters in the book, you know, they, they seem like people that, and, uh, you know, I grew up in South Philly. So these are people that I probably, you know, I could, I could maybe, you know, bend the creative rules a little bit and probably in my own sphere of, uh, of acquaintances, I could probably relate to saying that, you know, gee, and, um, some of these people sound like people that I've met along the way. And I think that's what's so real. I think that's what's so great about what you bring to the table is that without tipping your hand or you talk about pulling back that curtain some of the uh, characters in your book are based perhaps on people that you've known along the way 
uh, I would say maybe inspired by. Inspired. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's fiction, so they're not they're not supposed to be um, they're not supposed to represent anybody in my real life. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, Portia is is a South Jersey girl. You right. know, I mean, I, she you know grew up in the '80s. You know, teased the hair up, listened to you know the the glam metal back in the day, as bon so Jovi, many yeah, sure, so many yeah. people did, and yeah. um, you know, it's what I know. And the greatest compliment. What, you know, I love when people say this seems real, it seems authentic. Um, and I, I think throughout the whole country, most people don't understand that South Jersey is different than Central and North Jersey. Absolutely. So, you know, when I travel, people, you know, they'll, they'll do the North Jersey accent and they'll say, oh, that's where you're. And I said, no, you have no idea. Like, that's that's not where I'm the whole from. All over the world, yeah. And so I try to, to mine that, that – um, the area for the richness you know it's, it is unique um and it, one of the things that bothers me the most when i see a, a movie set in philly or south jersey and you have a new york accent yeah. you know it's so frustrating uh, and of course hollywood doesn't care because no one else knows besides exactly. the people who live here yeah. um, but you know i try to get it right and so when people from south jersey and philly tell me that it, it resonates it, it means a lot to me because i work hard on it yeah now i'm, I'm sure there there probably are some people that are going to come up to you and say um, gee, you know, that, that character of Portia, didn't we go to high school with her? I mean, <laughs> you talk about being inspired, but or, you know, there may even be somebody who thinks they're Portia that comes up to you and say, you know, oh, what are you doing? You know, tell them my story. But uh, um, uh, has anybody approached you and says, you know, is that somebody we went to high school with? Or, you know, didn't she live around the corner from where you grew up? <laughs> you know, you get that, you know, and it's, they're never right. You yeah. know, they're, I have a funny story. When Silver Linings came out, I was really worried that, um, one of my friends would see themselves in the character. Um, I'm not going to even say which character it was, but uh, when the book came out, this friend read the book, and, and he came up to me. He's like, i got to talk to you about this character. And I said, oh, no. And he said, our other friend is going to be so mad at you. <laughs> he thought it was somebody else. And, so, and it wasn't based on him, but right. I just was worried that he might get that idea. And I, I think people see what they want to see in, in, in a novel. you know, And mm-hmm. that's what's really strange about going through publication time it can be very disorienting and Mm -hmm. alienating because even when people love the book they love it for different reasons than you intended and they they see it in different ways with love may fail just last week i read two reviews that were really positive and the first one said i really like this book but it's the darkest matthew quick book that i've I've read it's it really kind of struck me as kind of down and depressing and then literally the next review that i read said this is a great beach book (laughs) it's so much fun and light and it made me laugh and you know i think that just says a lot about where the reader is and at their point in, in when they read it yeah. so uh, do you worry about the reviews i mean do you you know look if, if you're getting good reviews then you really like reading the reviews but you know no matter you know it's it's that one stick in the mud that comes you know your way and it really ruins your whole day i mean do you really worry about the reviews I try not to. Um, my wife is forever get, trying to get me to stop reading reviews. Yeah. And it's true. You can read 100 glowing reviews and yeah. you read one negative review and that's that's etched in your mind. Um, all the wonderful things that people have said about my work, you know, I tend not to remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get that really bad review, you can quote it word for word. Yeah. yeah. I, so many artists, you know, even when I was touring with uh, the Weinstein Company, David O. Russell would refuse to read any reviews, really? you know, even the good ones that came in. Oh, this guru, I, you know, I, I don't. I think there's wisdom in that, and yeah. I, I think I need to get to that point. Yeah, uh, we're talking with uh, Matthew Quick, his new book, Love May Fail, now available in uh, bookstores. It is the story of Portia Kane. Um, she has um, pretty much a 
turned the page on her life, uh, living in Florida. She leaves her husband. She moves back to uh, South Jersey. Um, uh, this is a story of a, a strong female character. She returns to uh, her um, her familiar ground of uh, of South Jersey, and she she sees meets many people uh, that she uh, knew in her youth. But she goes back to her high school English teacher who pretty much served as a, a great motivator uh, to her. You taught English. Yep. Right? So drawing on, although I read a quote from you that says, you know, uh, you know, it's it's like farming, but you don't necessarily reap the benefits. And I'm paraphrasing here. You don't necessarily reap the benefits of that farming for years later, whereas, you know, in South Jersey, when you farm, you know, the next season, you're going to see the benefits. But I don't know where I'm going with this question, but <laughs> Portia is back. She she tries to, um, she actually tries to save her former English teacher who has really, despite all the encouragement and all the advice that he gave her and other students, he really doesn't seem to have paid much of attention to that advice for himself. Yeah, and I think that is, uh, you know, there's an old... Um quote you know physician heal thyself you know mm -hmm. and and uh, you know I, I talk about teaching it slow farming you know it's mm -hmm. uh, you, you 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 plant this crop and it doesn't grow for maybe 20 30 years and yeah. you might not even be there when it when it yields fruit and um, that could be discouraging you know when you teach and you go in and, and you give your best and every teacher I know you know uh, you, you think you're going to save the world you mm -hmm. know and when you're in college as an undergrad and you know you're, you're, you're studying education and you know uh, you just have these grand ideas about what's going to happen and then as soon as you get into a school you realize that those grand ideas are, are very hard to put in place sure. and it's it's more about politics than it is about kids a lot of times in education and you know for me when I, I taught for seven years and by the end of it I was just so burned out mm. and so beat up and uh, I left teaching and I never wanted to talk about teaching again but my students would come back to me and um, they would contact me and when I was on book tour for the good luck of right now I had students show up in LA and the fact that uh, you've you've made Portia the uh, the lead in your book as opposed to the male lead in Silver Linings Playbook, um, it, was it kind of hard to get into the mind or the persona of a woman? I mean, look, you know, guys can write for guys and they could think, you know, like guys. But now you have this character of Portia. How did you manage to get into Portia's mind and sort of lead her along this journey that she's about to take? You know, I, I just try to think of her as a human being, you know, and uh, I think each character you write, whether they're male or, or, or female or um, who, whoever they are, they, they have um, their own peculiar way of seeing the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so e each character, regardless of gender, uh, is equally hard to, to represent because you're stepping into a new skull. Mm -hmm. And so I try not to think about it too much. The first time I wrote a female... Uh, voice was Amber Appleton is sort of like a rock star and I didn't think about it at all and then when I sold it to Little Brown um, I remember going to Little Brown in New York the first day they were meeting everybody my editor and everybody kept saying you do the best teenage girl voice and I started <laughs> to think what does that mean like I started to psychoanalyze myself uh, um, but I think you know with a little empathy you can you can get into anybody's mind mm -hmm. I really do Portia returns uh, home after living uh, in Florida, leaving her husband behind. She's confronted with, um, you know, uh, uh, people that she's she's known, a community that she's familiar with. I have to ask, growing up in Camden County, uh, now living in the Outer Banks, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So what's it like then for you, Matt, 
to come home. I mean, what strikes you as uh, different, the same? Are you comfortable when you come home? Because sometimes people leave and then when they come back with varying degrees of success, uh, and in your case, more success than perhaps other people that are leaving Camden County and whether they're coming to Philly or they're going to Harrisburg or Florida. But I mean, what's it like for you to come home? You know, I would say it's complicated. You know, uh, I love this area. And, uh, you know, I guess the way that I think of myself in, in Philly and South Jersey is just a guy from Philly and South Jersey. So, yeah. you know, when I go to the Eagles game with my friends, you know, that's that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have a few beers with my friends. But inevitably, someone always wants to ask you about Silver Linings. And, you know, I'm grateful for the attention, you know, and I'm grateful and I, and I love talking about it but there are times when you just want to just be that guy you know and just just watch the game um and so you know i i love to come home and you know the manor bar in oakland mm-hmm. is is mentioned in in the book and that's one of my favorite places and, and I, I love to go there and just kind of be anonymous sometimes and you know a, after the movie it becomes a little bit harder to do yeah. uh, and so you know it's it's not that you're complaining about it but i think it's easy for easier for me to write about Philly and South Jersey when I'm not here Mm. um, because I kind of get some perspective. A a good friend of mine, another writer by the name of Evan Roscos, Mm. he talked about, uh, he used this metaphor to describe it for me, and he said it's like developing film. Like you can't do it in the sun. You've got to go to the dark room to develop. And I (laughs) I thought that was a pretty good metaphor, so I give him credit for that. Absolutely. You're on an extensive uh, book tour right now. You had an event at the library last night? Yeah, the free library. And then you're going to be at the Chester County uh, Book yeah, in Westchester today, right, yep. tonight, and then um, you're 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 traveling. What I, I think it was up and down the East Coast here, but uh, I mean, it, it's so important to get out there, not only from the business side of things, but to hear from your fans and avid readers. I mean, so um, you know, oftentimes. Uh, one thing that I've learned 35 years of doing radio, uh, people pretty much tell you what's on their mind. They, there are no filters oftentimes. So anything that sticks out, you know, of all these people that you've met from day one until now, anything that strikes you as, uh, wow, I didn't think about that, or, uh, you know, that was really bold, you know, bold and ballsy of you to, you know, to bring that to my attention. I mean, look, it's, you know, I think oftentimes they just want you to know how they enjoy your work they appreciate your work but sometimes they don't necessarily put the filters on when they tell you about your work yeah i think i think most of the people that you encounter are pretty good-hearted and if they come out to an event they're usually interested in your work um so i never mind when, when people tell me personal things about how they responded to the book and you know sometimes people do get quite intimate but you always have one or two people and especially after you have a success that they just want to they want to zing you you know they want to they want to kind of get you and and, and i tell this story I, I tell it on book tour, I kind of abbreviate it, but uh, I remember one of my first signings in Philly uh, for Silver Linings. There was a man that came through the the line, and he, he actually asked if he could read the first chapter in, in front of me. Um, and he read it, and when he finished, he just he just said, nope. And he popped the P and put the book down. And it was one of the most humiliating um, experiences of my life. And you know, I've, I've thought a lot about that. Like, why would somebody do that to you? Is it just sadistic or, you know, they just are jealous or whatever. And I think you always have um, people out there that when you go out and you speak your truth and you, you, you talk about um, who you are and you have the courage to, to get up in front of people and speak, there's, there's always some people that will resent that, you know, and I think that's just a part of 
of uh, being an artist, you know, being a writer, putting yourself out there, and you've got to take the good with the bad. But it, sometimes it can be, it can be puzzling to me because it's not in my nature to to ever do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that's the minority, you know. Most people are, are not like that. But that one sticks out in my head. Is that was yeah. a, that was kind of a baptism by fire. Yeah, and I, I'll say you're probably better off for it because. Now you probably will know how to react if that situation, God forbid, should ever present itself. But uh, oftentimes what happens is that you, not you, but people insulate or isolate themselves from a lot of different things. Or they have people that isolate or insulate you from a gentleman like that. But um, and, and while at the time it's kind of perplexing, if you take that and, and turn it into a positive and, and sort of think, okay, well, maybe you're just having a bad day or now I know that, uh, you know, there might be one person out there that doesn't like uh, what I'm writing or appreciate what I'm writing. But I think you're better off for it realizing it and, and learning from that experience. Yeah, I think, I think too, when people respond to, to books, uh, uh, we tend to have these preconceived ideas of what we should and shouldn't like, mm-hmm. you know, and I think uh, a lot of times people like to herd up. You know, and they mm-hmm. say, does this fit into my herd? Is this guy, you know, doing what I think is the right thing to do? And, sure. and I, I like to challenge people. You know, my books are, are not really traditional. And I think uh, I think that's what has given me a voice. Uh, you know, they're you know, I talk about having a Matthew quick book. And my wife says, you know, your books kind of push the envelope. They're mm-hmm. different. They're strange. Um, and, and some people have a hard time with different and strange. Yeah. But there are people out there. Um, who who need to read books like that, and I hear from readers all the time that that uh, uh, they'll say your book made me feel less alone, or you know you're getting up and talking about your own personal struggles with anxiety or depression. Uh, it's good to know that there are other people out there who who feel the way that I do, and mm-hmm. so you know you got to fight. You know you got to fight to get your voice out there. Um, you know to go back to Rocky, like I remember that that great scene where he's sitting with Adrian, and he said, you know those guys on the TV taking shots at me. I said it didn't bother me, but it does. Yeah. You know, and I think whenever you're trying to accomplish something, you've got to be able to deal with the critics. You've got to be able to break out of the herd and and do your own thing before, um, you know, I think that's just, just part of the initiation of it. Yeah. One final question then before I let you go is that uh, with this book, Love May Fail, what is it that you hope um, your readers take away from the book? The book is, uh, the title comes from a, a quote from... Kurt Vonnegut's Jailbird, and it's love may fail, but courtesy will prevail. And and for me, the book is really about uh, how the grand things like love, you know, these grand ideas can can often fail us, but common courtesy, simple moments, um, can often be the heartbeats of our lives that can really save us. And so I think simple moments between, you know, quiet moments between common people can be really important. And I think that's really what the book is about. Matthew Quick, Love May Fail, now available in bookstores. Thanks so much for being with us. This is great. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. You've been listening to Studio 89.7, a monthly program that focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. Please tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Studio 89.7, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.